The engagement of the church, the experience of the church, the expectation of the church. Well, that's what we'll be talking about today as the Bible bus finishes up our journey through Ephesians chapter 4 and then heads into chapter 5. Welcome to Through the Bible. I'm your host, Steve Schwetz, inviting you to grab your copy of God's Word and join us for another great study with our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee. But before we start, let's read a couple of testimonies from our fellow listeners. First, we hear from Willie in Elkridge, Maryland. I've been a listener since I was in the military in 1995. Listening to the program while going to physical training in the morning was a good way to start the day. When I told mom about it and was home on vacation, I would wake up in the morning and there was the program on, which she also enjoyed. I still catch the Bible bus on occasion and love the updates I receive from your ministry. Dr. McGee's voice portraying the word of the Lord to us lives on. Well, it's great to hear from you, Willie. Thanks for your service, and I'm glad that you're still able to hop aboard. And then we've got Bob in Ramona, California, who sent us this email. I'm a new Christian. I wanted to say thank you with a donation. As I have more money, I will give on a continual basis. My story is a lot like others, but all the same. It is mine. I was in a terrible situation, a marriage falling apart. I was addicted to drugs and alcohol, and my health was failing. I decided to get help through a substance abuse facility, and then I found Dr. McGee. Listening to his sermons helped me to hear the voice of God and to learn what it is like to be free from booze. I'm on the Bible bus now, and I hope I can make a difference by helping others through my knowledge gained by listening and reading the Bible. I'm glad the Bible bus will always have room for one more. Thanks for saving me a seat, Steve. God bless you, all of you, at Through the Bible, and God bless those that need help. Well, thanks so much for sharing your story, Bob. I know it'll encourage others who are struggling today as well. And thank you for your support. You know, Through the Bible is so grateful for the financial support of friends like you. So if you feel the Lord prompting you to join Bob and other faithful listeners who keep the Bible bus going in your community and in more than 250 languages worldwide, please call 1-800-65-BIBLE or visit ttb.org forward slash give. And I'll tell you, it's a great investment. Now let's pray. Heavenly Father, fill our hearts with your spirit so that we may have the strength and desire to obey your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now here's our study on Ephesians 4 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now very reluctantly, I let go of the last chapter in which that wonderful thing was said, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God by whom you're sealed, under the day of redemption. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God until the day of redemption, and the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. But he can be grieved because he's a person. The Scripture's clear, you can't grieve him away. You may grieve the Holy Spirit, but you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Now, that's a glorious, wonderful truth. But you'll notice that was put right next to it. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. These are the things that grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, well, engaging in these things, would that mean you're not a child of God? No, I don't think that it would mean that, friends. But I think we ought to make it very clear that nobody on the outside is going to know you're a child of God. And furthermore, the unsaved world won't believe that you're a child of God. Now, the thing that reveals it, of course, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And this is for believers. 
even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. It's on the basis now of not an eye for an eye, or we're to forgive so we can be forgiven, but we're to forgive because we've already been forgiven. Now, we got started last time into the fifth chapter, in which we see now the church will be a bride. That's future. Now, in anticipation of that day, when the day of redemption, when the Spirit of God will present the church unto the Lord Jesus and he himself, as we're going to see in this chapter, will present the church to himself, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now, that's the thing that he is after. So we're living now in the day, as we mentioned last time, of the engagement of the church. The church is not yet the bride of Christ. And that day is coming. And that day is mentioned by John when the church will be presented to him as a bride. Now, we have here in these first 17 verses the engagement of the church, and then we'll see the experience of the church, and then the expectation of the church. Now, actually, he continues right along these injunctions for Christian conduct. And now they have a very definite bearing upon us, because we are to live this life in light of the fact that we are to be presented to Christ without spot or blemish. Now, such a high and a lofty goal, which is entirely the work of Christ, that is a compelling dynamic for chaste conduct right down here. Now, we saw last time that as we took off in this chapter, we're to walk in love as Christ loved you and gave himself for an offering. And that definitely identifies that brazen altar that was first in the tabernacle and then in the temple as the very place that speaks of the cross of Christ, where he, the burnt offering, was offered without spot or blemish unto God for you and for me, where he died a substitutionary, vicarious death upon the cross. Now, in light of that, and because of the fact we are yet to be presented to him, we are told here in verse 3 and 4, "...but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, and that's greediness, let it not be named even among you as becometh saints, and filthiness and foolish talking or jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks." Now, the sins that are described here, they're the sins that are prevalent among unbelievers. And all of them have to do with low forms of immorality. Now, Paul is saying here that the child of God cannot habitually engage in these. And even a slight indulgence would bring a revulsion and agony of soul. I make the statement like this from time to time. If you can get into sin and it doesn't trouble you or bother you, then you're not a child of God. <laughs> I do not think there's any other alternative. But I tell you, if there's conviction in your heart 
And like the prodigal son, you want to rise and go to your father. Then you're a son of the father, because only sons want to go to the father's house. Never heard of a pig that wanted to go there. And therefore, these are low sins. Now, let's just look at them for a moment, because I believe when you go to God to confess your sins, you don't bundle them up and hand them to God wholesale. You spell them out to him. If you've got a biting tongue and you're a gossip and you've hurt people, tell him that's what it is. That's the thing that I think is so important that God's people spell it out for him. I carry in my Bible, and I don't think I've read this recently. I read it every now and then. Some of you have heard it before. But I think this is so important that when you go to God in confession, you spell it out because that helps you to maintain fellowship with him. If we confess our sins. Now, these are the sins, I think, that believers drop into sometime. And if they do, they're to confess them. Now, before we look at them, taking them up at Sir Adam and in detail for just a moment, Will you listen to what Fenelon wrote years ago? Tell God all that's in your heart. As one unloads one's heart, its pleasures, and its pains to a dear friend, tell him your troubles, that he may comfort you. Tell him your joys, that he may sober them. Tell him your longings, that he may purify them. Tell him your dislikes, that he may help you to conquer them. Talk to him of your temptations, that he may shield you from them. Show him the wounds of your heart, that he may heal them. Lay bare your indifference to good, your depraved taste for evil, your instability. Tell him how self-love makes you unjust to others, how vanity tempts you to be insincere, how pride disguises you to yourself as to others. If you thus pour out all your weaknesses, needs, troubles, there'll be no lack of what to say. You will never exhaust the subject. It is continually being renewed. People who have no secrets from each other never want subjects of conversation. They do not weigh their words, for there is nothing to be held back. Neither do they seek for something to say. They talk out of the abundance of their heart without consideration, just what they think. Blessed are they who attain to such familiar, unreserved intercourse with God. Now, that's the end of the quotation. Now, I've taken time to read that, friends, because I think that's the great need of a great many believers. You need to go to God and tell him what's really in your heart. Somebody says, why, well, it seems unbelievable that Christians would commit these sins here. Well, friends, if you've been a pastor as long as I have, you know that they do. And many of them feel that they've committed an unpardonable sin, but they haven't as a way back to God. Now, notice them. Fornication. Now, that is a sin that is looked upon as not being very bad. That is, the gross immorality of the hours called the new morality. And some time ago, many of us old squares were shocked when we heard that in the dormitories in college, why boys and girls were living in the same dormitory. 
but on different floors. And then that changed, and recently, and I must confess I was shocked, a boy and a girl are roommates in a college. Now, may I say to you that the idea today is, oh, of course, we don't engage in sex. Well, I don't believe that. You know, I'm rather cynical. And somebody says, you've got a dirty mind. Maybe I have. <laughs> but I never did that before. I got in trouble one time in college for going into a girl's dormitory when I should not have gone in. I didn't get very far. I can assure you that. I didn't get past the living room. Well, I've gotten a hallway, and that's where I made my mistake. But today they look down on anyone that has my position that you're a square. You're not up to date. Well, may I say to you, I'm staying with the Bible and fornication, and I don't care who you are, where you are, if you're living in fornication, you just can't be a child of God. Now, somebody says, wait a minute. You've said that they can confess this sin and come back into fellowship. Sure, that's right. But if you live in it, friends... I think that's a dead giveaway of who you are. Fornication is the sex sins of the present hour. Now, all uncleanness that he mentions here, that includes all forms of immorality and abnormality. Now, here we have covetousness, and that's a grasping and a desire, actually, for more than just money or material wealth. It may be you want to be mentally superior to someone else. It may be that you want to have a home or a position. And there are folk in Christian work. They love to have position. They love to be chairman of something. They love to be president of something. But it includes, of course, material things. Someone has said the miser, he thinks dollars are flat so you can stack them. And the prodigal thinks that they're round so you can roll them. Covetousness means you're after everything for your own selfish ends, whether it's to stack it, whether it's to spend it, whether it's not material things, but to try to garner together all the honors of this world that you possibly can. Why, I know ministers, they would never be guilty of trying to get rich trying to get money. But I want to tell you, they're sure after position. They want a position in their denomination. They want a position in their church. They want to be chairman of something or president of something. Covetousness, it is a rotten sin that's in our old nature. And he says, these are not to be named even among you. Now, what does he mean by that? Because I've just named them and I must be wrong. No, to name them with approval or desire. And I can assure you, you know I didn't name them with approval. And I can tell you, I didn't name them with desire either. Filthiness, that speaks of the utmost in depravity. That speaks of the low, down, dirty things that you hear about today. And foolish talking, that means to gloat or brag about sinning. Have you ever heard? A man or even a woman boast of how much they drank at the party, boast of their conquests in the realm of the opposite sex. Both men and women do that. That's what is known here as foolish talking. Now, jesting, 
That doesn't mean to have good, clean humor. I'd sure be guilty if it included that. But jesting means to make light of sensuality and immorality. It means to tell dirty stories. And I've gone out of that business a long time ago. Now, will you notice, but rather giving of thanks. Now, that's to be the context of Christian conversation. I think I told you about the man that he was a very wonderful Christian layman. I loved him in the Lord. And when we play golf together, sometimes they would put with us an unsaved man. And this unsaved man, generally, for they generally do, he'd make a few bad shots and he'd lose his temper and he'd ask God to damn the golf course and the sand traps and his golf clubs and everything else under heaven. And this man would always say, praise the Lord, bless the Lord. The man would look at him in amazement. And finally, the man said to him, why do you say that? And so this man says, why do you take God's name in vain? Well, he says, it's a habit. Well, this man says, it's a habit with me that every time I hear any man ask God to damn something, I'm going to praise him and thank him for something. I sort of want to balance the budget down here. And do you know that that stopped on several occasions a man from cussing? And that's a good way to do it. Now, he says, giving of thanks. Now, in verse 5, he says, For this ye know, that every fornicator or unclean person or covetous man who is an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, I think it's clearly understood that the unregenerate man who practices these sins, he has no portion in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, if a professing Christian practices these sins, he immediately classifies himself. To live in the corruption of the flesh is to place oneself beyond the pale of a child of God and to declare that he does not Know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he hath sent. My friend, if you engage in these sins here, then you can be sure of one thing. I don't care what your testimony is on Sunday, and I don't care what your position is in the church. You are saying to a lost world that you are not a child of God. Now, I do not know your personal relationship to God. Now, verses 6 and 7, "...let no man deceive you with empty words, for because of these things is coming the wrath of God on the sons of disobedience. Become not then partakers with them." In other words, what Paul is saying is this, in view of the fact that the wrath of God will be poured out on the unregenerate, because of these sins it follows that the child of God cannot participate in them without incurring the displeasure and judgment of God. In other words, if he really is a child of God, God's going to judge you. He did David. David only stepped over one time, and God put the lash on his back and never took it off. And Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32, "...but if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged." But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. 
Now, if you can sin as a child of God and get by with it, you're not a child of God. Why? Because God would have to then condemn you with the world. And that means you're not saved. Because your sin, whether you're a child of God or not, it's going to be judged. And if you're a child of God and you commit these things, God's going to take you to the woodshed right here and now. And if he doesn't, my friend, you're in a frightful condition. That means you're not his child, because he doesn't whip the devil's children at all. Now, verses 8 and 10. For ye were once darkness, but now ye are light in the world. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light is in goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is well-pleasing to the Lord. Now, Paul reminds the believers of their former state prior to their conversion. They were not just in darkness. They were darkness. We say that the unsaved man is in darkness. My friend, he is darkness. Have you ever talked to one of them? May I revert back to the golf course? I was put one time. I went down to play by myself, and they put me with another man. He was an unsaved man. He was a bartender. And that man, I give you my word, he wasn't in darkness. He was darkness. My, what a lie that man had. What an awful thing. Now, Paul here identifies the fruit of light. Rather, he marks out those characteristics which always accompany light. What is it? In all goodness, that means kindness. Righteousness means moral rectitude. And truth refers primarily to sincerity and genuineness. In other words, the believer is to prove or test his life in this manner to see if he's in the will of God and therefore well-pleasing to him. Now, somebody said to me when I said we're to walk in the light, is he's in the light, and that was meant to walk in the light of the Word of God. Somebody said, well, what does the Word of God says? Right here, you're to walk in kindness and in goodness and in righteousness, moral rectitude and in truth and in sincerity. That's what it means to walk in the light, friends. And if you're not walking in the light, and that means seven days a week, not just on Sunday. It means 24 hours a day. And it means about 60 minutes every hour and 60 seconds every minute. And this is what it means to walk in light. Now, verses 11 and 13. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather even reprove them. For the things done in secret by them is shameful even to speak of. But all of them, when they are reproved, are made manifest by the light, for everything that is manifest is light. Now we're to have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness. A child of God cannot go along with that. Now, what does it mean to reprove them? The believer is not to become a reformer, but by the light of his light he is to rebuke the works of darkness. The light reveals what the darkness conceals. Darkness is not driven away by preaching at it, but by the presence of light. Darkness is dissipated. There are too many Christians today that take the little Sunday school method or the preacher method of walking up to the unsaved man and say, you shouldn't do that. I remember an officer walking up to a man that lit a cigarette out in front of the church. He says, you shouldn't do that. My friend, that's not the way to do it. You are to be light in your own life. That's the way you do it. This idea today, 
that you can preach at people at these things. I get letters all the time from people telling me things I should preach against on this radio. You should do that. You should do that. You're not doing it. No, friend, and you want to know something? I won't be doing it the next time you hear it. I want to turn on the light of the Word of God, what is right, that which God calls right. My friend, that'll cause the rats to run for cover, and the birds will come out and sing when the light is turned off. Until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. You know, there are only a few more studies in this amazing book of Ephesians, and then we're going to return to the Old Testament to study the book of Proverbs. So get your free copy of Dr. McKee's notes and outlines for Proverbs in advance. You can find them really simply just on our app, and you can get them in other formats that works for you as well. Just visit ttb.org to learn more. And remember, you can also grab them for your Kindle at Amazon. And of course, if we can help, just call 1-800-65-BIBLE. Again, that's 1-800-65-BIBLE. Join us next time as we continue this amazing journey through the Bible. Well, ride the Bible bus for five years and you'll be amazed at what God teaches you from his word about what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's a blessing that keeps on going. That's what we believe at Through the Bible.